2: I'm so excited about the guests that we have for today's show. We're going to be talking about a brand new piece of legislation that's just been brought before the U.S. House of Representatives. It's called the Keep It in the Ground Bill, and it's basically about keeping fossil fuels in the ground, and we'll be talking about the reasons for that. We'll be talking about the ramifications for that. Our first guest during the first couple of segments of the show is Tara Hauska, and she is involved um, in a number of different capacities. Um, she is a tribal rights attorney based in Washington, D.C. She works on a wide range of issues affecting Indian country, including Indian child welfare, land acquisition, language revitalization. Revitalization, and Environmental Advocacy while she was at the White House Council on Environmental Quality, and she has also recently been named as a Native American advisor to Bernie Sanders, and we're pleased to have you on the show. Tara, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you for having me. Well, before we talk about your support for the Keep It in the Ground bill, I'd like for you to tell us more about the organization that you're a big part of, it called Honor the Earth. Talk to us about what that organization is all about and how it is involved with this piece of legislation.
3: So, Honor the Earth is an environmental justice organization. Um, The executive director is Winona LaDuke, a pretty well-known environmental justice advocate, long-time environmental, and Native American rights advocate. Um, and so Honor the Earth is kind of involved in a lot of different, different sites for environmental justice across the country. Um, lately, we've been focusing very heavily on the Alberta Clipper line and the Sandpiper line in Minnesota. Um, those will come through. The Alberta Clipper comes through uh, from tar sands in, the, in Alberta down to Lake Superior and through the Mississippi headwaters, and the Sandpiper comes from the back end. Over to uh, the the Lake Superior also, so our Great Lakes are at risk, Um, and that's kind of you know my job is to raise awareness and bring this discussion to a national level.
2: Awesome. Now let's talk specifically about this new bill, "Keep It In The Ground." How would passage of this bill impact Native American communities, Tara?
3: So keeping in the ground, because it's a public lands kind of, you know, it prevents extraction of fossil fuels on public lands, public waters, um, Arctic drilling, like a ban on that, um, Native American communities are typically right next to public lands because they are in very rural places in, in across America. So whenever these projects happen, you know, when these extraction leases, leases are approved, those are generally very, very nearby or close to Indian country. Um, we've seen this, you know, in the Bakken, we've seen this with the Keystone XL that would have gone through the treaty territories of the of the uh, Lakota Nation. Um, it's just something that that is very frequent and unfortunate. So this bill is very, very, very helpful for Native American communities.
2: Well, and tell us a little bit more in detail how, you know, being juxtaposed to some of these extraction sites, you know, what does it do to, uh, you know, a Native American community? What are some of the... Um, you know, what are some of the upshots of that juxtaposition to that kind of activity?
3: Unfortunately, being right next to uh, extractive industries is really, really, really harmful for a lot of Native American communities, not just in the, the way that you would typically think, which are, you know, water contamination and, you know, poisoning of lands and things like that. Those, those definitely do happen, and they're very, very serious. Um, one of the hardest parts that people don't quite understand is that reservations are static places. You can't just pick up and move, right? This is like your homeland. This is your, this is where your actual nation is based. And so if the water supply is contaminated, you can't leave. That's pretty much it. Um, and if you do, I mean, that's, that's I mean, that's, that's your homeland. It's your tribal homeland. But there's also other human costs, which are, you know, the cancer clusters. We see tons of cancer clusters popping up all over by the tar sands extraction regions up in Canada. Um, And uh, man camps, that's another thing. So you influx, you know, thousands of workers, but thousands of fossil fuel workers into these areas um, with only a tiny little tribal community nearby. Unfortunately, the crime rate and things, and, you know, all those violent crimes go up. um, Mm -hmm. And the the nearby community is just simply not able to either protect people or, you know, address and accommodate that kind of influx.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Now, just this week, uh, you know, for those of us who watched the Oscars, we saw Leonardo DiCaprio make reference to respect for indigenous peoples in his Oscar award accepted speech. And here on Go Green Radio, you know, we've been around since 2008 and we've talked with indigenous people from other countries on Go Green Radio, but we've never talked about the impact that the fossil fuel industry is having on Native American communities. And I, I'd like to kind of get your, perspective on, you know, what he said in his acceptance speech, you know, what the, um, what the American people could better do to respect our own indigenous populations when it comes to, um, the fossil fuel industry and, and making sure that oil and coal and natural gas, um, is, is not the extraction and the processing of these uh, fossil fuels are, are not adversely impacting the lives of Native Americans?
3: Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it, it seems to be the case still in the United States um, that Native Americans are largely left out of the conversation. Um, I mean, even in my own capacity here in D.C., I do a lot of lobbying on the Hill and a lot of interaction with, you know, other leaders and, I've heard more than more than a few times that, you know, I, I didn't realize you guys were still here. You know, I thought you were extinct. And that's, I think, simply because Native Americans are so entirely left out of the conversation in American society. Um, a, a lot of people think that we are sports mascots or living in teepees and headdresses and things like that. I mean, that's really what people think. And so they don't understand that, you know, with the Keystone XL pipeline, that that would have gone right through you know, treaty territories and contaminated the water supply, the drinking water supply for several, for several native nations. Um, They don't understand that there's, you know, coal operations, like, you know, the Lumi Nation right now is fighting to prevent these coal terminals from coming through. Um, They don't realize that in in Alaska, Kivalina, like the Kivalina people, their community is about to go underwater due to climate change. Rising seas are going to put them underwater right now, like in Louisiana, the first ever, um, they're the first. What are they? The first climate climate r- climate change refugees. That's a tribe down in, in Louisiana. Um, they literally have had to move because wow. of rising seas, and that's. It, it's just. It's a. It's a conversation that needs to happen, and especially it's. It's been very very powerful to see the t- more like you know uh, big greens and environmental groups really realize that hey these are indigenous people and these people are on the front lines, and they're experiencing this right now.
2: That's fascinating, and I'd like to spend more time talking about that. I mean, maybe uh, we could have you on for another show to talk specifically about that, because I think you're right. I think a lot of Americans do not realize um, that some of our indigenous uh citizens and and some of our indigenous peoples are right there on the front lines and, and I think that we could devote an entire show to that. That's a an important topic. Now with this bill, this keep it in the ground uh, piece of legislation, there are 17 um, House of Representative members who've signed on to co-sponsor keep it in the ground and they come from a wide variety of states. I mean you've got representatives from California, Arizona, Georgia, Massachusetts, Washington, Florida, Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey quite uh, you know a a mixture of states across the the United States do you know if these U.S. representatives are motivated to co-sponsor the bill based on constituency pressure I mean are there um, Native Americans in their states putting pressure on them or is there some other reason that they have gotten involved with this bill
3: to me, I think it's kind of a, a multifaceted thing. So, you know, there are constituencies. I mean, you know, my generation, millennials, right? Millennials are, are very, very aware of climate change. Um, that has become an incredibly important issue and one that it's still kind of appalling to watch, you know, the, the debates and watch the GOP decide whether or not climate change is real. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's just something that's simply like appalling to me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's not only the constituency, I think it's also just an overall understanding, especially I think with Keith and Excel, that the society generally realized that climate change is an issue. That, you know, hey, here's California, here's Arizona, they're having, they're running out of water. They're actually having, like, serious drought issues, and this is a reality. This isn't something that we can say, oh, well, you know, here's this snowball that I can throw across the Congress, you know what I mean? Like, this is a real thing. And so, I think a lot of politicians are starting to become aware of the fact that they have to include that in their platforms, and it's it's absolutely a must. They have to get they have to get elected in, right? They have to get our votes, um, and to feel that kind of pressure from both, you know, the public sphere and also from their constituency. I think is why this is happening.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I know that Senator Bernie Sanders co-sponsored a similar bill in the Senate back in November, and as I mentioned in our leadoff. Uh, Introductory segment. You've recently been named as one of his advisors. Do you want to talk to us about his position on this bill and on fossil fuels in general?
3: One of the reasons that I actually decided to you know uh, sign on and become an advisor for Bernie Sanders is because of his environmental position. Um, it's he is a uh, you know entirely across the board against fossil fuel um, extraction, like expansion of that. So keeping in the ground is stopping us, right? um, mm-hmm. and to see him, you know, basically say, I don't care what it is. We're, we're stopping this. We're stopping these industries. We need to transition to green energy. We need to get these workers on the green jobs." We, you know, it's not like we're just stopping progress. Like that's like the, what they always try to paint it as is, Oh, well you want to move, you know, back to the stone age? No, we have the technology to move past this. We have the, you know, ability to support these workers and transition them into green jobs. So, I mean, it's, it's, it was kind of a no-brainer for me, really. I mean, being so tightly involved with environmental justice and working for Native American communities. Um, mm-hmm. And Bernie Sanders, is, is, he's been really positive as far as, I mean, doing outreach in Indian country. He's done a whole lot over this last, you know, very short period of time where he's, you know, he has no federally recognized tribes in Vermont but has become adept at Native America in a very, very short span of time. Mm-hmm. Um, he just got introduced, actually, by my boss yesterday, Winona LaDuke in Minnesota, which was great and mm-hmm. came out against the Sandpiper and, and Albert Clipper one.
2: Well, and, and I wonder, you know, if he is not successful in this, you know, presidential election cycle, um, what role do you expect him to play, you know, by continuing to push for legislation like this keep it in the ground bill? I mean, um, you know, what what do you see? You know, if if this presidential election bid doesn't work out, what do you see his role being in the future now that he has so much visibility?
3: I think that he's really drawn a great deal. Yeah, you're, a great deal of attention and visibility to these issues and how important it is that you know, we need to address the fact that there's 1% that holds, you know, almost all of the wealth in this country and almost all the wealth in the world, right? That, that's mm-hmm. not acceptable. That does not, that does not create a, a good working economy or society. Um, and has also said, you know, we, this is climate change. It's real and we need to address it. And this should be our number one concern right now, because it should. Um, I, he's been a longtime congressman, a longtime senator. So to see him you know, back in in the Senate, it would be, I think that he will continue to do exactly what he has been doing, which is a long time, lifetime of um, supporting the environment and fighting for it, and fighting for justice overall.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, Tara, but when we come back, I want to talk to you about, you know, some of the things that you have seen and learned as uh, part of the White House Council on Environmental environmental quality and I also want to talk to you about this notion of seven generations Um, really um, I think powerful term and phrase that I want to make sure all of our listeners understand that's a part of Native American culture that I think really really is relevant to these discussions about you know fossil fuels and climate change so don't go away folks we have much more Go Green Radio right after this
1: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Ask the experts. Call toll free right now 1 866 472 5787. And ask our All Star team to answer your questions. That's 1 866 472 5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could all tune in. In case you're just dialing in, let me catch you up. Our our guest today is Tara and she's a citizen of the Kuchiching First Nation and a tribal rights attorney based in Washington, D.C. She's with us today. We're talking about uh, a brand new piece of legislation that has just been introduced um, to the U.S. House of Representatives called Keep It in the Ground. And it's basically a bill that would keep fossil fuels in the ground on public lands, no more extraction of coal, oil, and natural gas. And we're talking about the impact that that could have on, on our indigenous populations here in the United States and on environmental quality as a whole. And I'm so pleased to have Tara on with us today. Tara, you've been a part of the White House Council on Environmental Quality. Tell us how serving in that capacity has helped to shape your views on the use of fossil fuels in our country.
3: When I was in that role, I was actually a law clerk, and that was back in 2011. Uh, That was my first ever internship out out in Washington, D.C., so my first time ever being out here. Um, and at that at that time in twenty eleven, I mean that was you know Keystone XL was were huge, right? It was it was mm-hmm. that's a years long years long project, um, and we were also looking at the uh, earthquakes happening in Oklahoma with uh, hydraulic fracturing, and so um, it was kind of a it, it was an interesting time where I saw, you know, a president that filled his environmental office his environmental policy group with very strong environmental advocates, um, which was really, really cool to see. So these people really did care about the environment and really wanted to do what was best for society, but also understood that, you know, we're also working within a political scheme. And so I learned a lot about kind of, you know, the politics of doing environmental work um, within, you know, the, the federal government and within an administration um, but also kind of at, at, at right outside the doors, so you get to see, you know, protesters, which, you know, maybe I'm wearing that hat more these days, <laughs> um, holding holding signs and saying, hey, you need to look at this because this is a real issue. And, you know, we're, we're out here fighting for, for the environment and for our planet and for our future.
2: Absolutely. Now, this is something that I think is so relevant, especially in a presidential year, because there is a difference between the way that Democrats see the role of government in society and the way Republicans see the role of government in society. Um, And I'm I'm curious, based on your experiences, both as a Native American and as someone who is working right in the epicenter of federal public policy there in Washington, D.C., what do you think is an appropriate role for the federal government to play in the extraction and use of fossil fuels in America? I mean, we are not like Venezuela. We have a private system of, you know, uh, the energy industry being private, not public, not nationalized. But what do you think is an appropriate role for the federal government to play in this, in this situation?
3: I think the federal government is charged with regulating the industry. They're charged with regulating for our health, for the health of its citizens. Um, and I think the federal government, unfortunately, has been Incredibly contaminated by, um, you know, the influx of campaign dollars through these through these private organizations. Um, that should not play a role in the people that are developing the policy to protect us. You know that that should not be the case. It, it I don't I, I mean I actually have often thought of, you know, what if you had you know like race car drivers? What if you had congressmen and you know senators and congresswomen all wearing like who are their biggest sponsors were right? and then mm-hmm. look at their voting record. What are they voting for? Um, and what are they choosing, What are they pushing hard to deregulate? Like, why are they, why are they doing that? You know, that, those are the kind of questions that I, that I have, and those are the kind of things that I've seen. Um, I think the federal government is, is charged with our health. It's charged with the health of the citizens. It's not charged with, you know, supporting and backing the fossil fuel industry.
2: hmm You know, it's, a, it's funny because, you know, the fossil fuel industry, I mean, we've we've been allowed to be alive in a time when fossil fuels have, you know, they've, they've helped us create a lot of advances in society. Um, you know, I mean, they are incredibly efficient uh, means of extracting work from machines and creating electricity and fueling transportation that's allowed, you know, a lot of uh, goods and food and things like that to be moved. And yet, um, you know, it, it, we have not put any regulation in place about saving it for future generations. And so, you know, I'm wondering, as we see, you know, the solar industry come on board and, and wind turbines being manufactured right now, none of those clean energy pieces of hardware are being manufactured with clean energy. You know, it takes fossil fuel electricity to power those plants that create those things. How do you feel about um, the federal government allocating some certain amount of fossil fuels that are extracted to be allocated to the creation of what we're going to need infrastructure-wise to convert to a clean energy economy?
3: I mean, that's really what you're talking about, right, is the next step. Uh, We have the ability and the tools of society to move past fossil fuels, and that's the whole point. Um, Yes, we might need fossil fuels to actually get there. We might need them to, you know, develop some of these wind turbines, like you were saying, or develop batteries or whatever it is. But the idea is we don't continue to extract more fossil fuels and continue to remain entrenched in that industry. We move past it into the next uh, field and the next genre, which... Unfortunately, probably isn't as profitable for like you know the big oil guys. Like they're they're they are they do not want that to happen, right? They want to hold on to their industry. They want to hold on to their money, and they don't want us to to prog- progress. Um, I think as far as the federal government being involved, I've seen you know from a tribal rights perspective, I've seen uh, a lot of grants come com- come available for putting in solar projects, for putting in wind projects out in Indian country, mm-hmm. um, and helping helping communities be self sufficient, which I think is incredible. And I think the government should be doing that. It should be. Pushing back and saying, hey, here's ways to move into the next era, um, even if you can't, you know, even if you don't have the means right now as a, as a community or as a state or a municipality.
2: Absolutely. Now, I have to ask you, because, of course, anytime you're talking about legislation, no matter how good the cause, no matter how uh, well-intentioned it may be, of course, it will be impacted by politics. And this year is one of the strangest years of presidential election politics we've seen. Um, how do you think the keep it in the ground bill will be impacted by this presidential election year, Tara? Tara?
3: Um, You know, having been out in D.C. now for a couple of years, I mean, it seems like talking with folks that have seen several presidential elections, Congress hasn't really been very um, responsive during a presidential year. And I mean, it, it, in my time here, coming out here, it's been Congress that refuses to pretty much do anything, which is very sad to see. Um, that I, I personally think they're not doing their jobs. They should be working together and they should be passing legislation. That's their job as as the representatives of this country. Um, and I've seen a whole a whole new era, and I've talked with people that have been here for a long, long time, and it's, it's a whole new era of I'm not going to do anything you say, right? Like, my whole job is to shut down the federal government, and that's crazy to see. It's crazy to see that in politics. Um, trying to keep it in the ground, Bill, I mean, I think it's you know it's got a whole – campaign right going across the country and not just the federal government but also like in grassroots organizations Mm and environmental organizations um and so those that phrase and those terms and with that kind of like sponsorship just even if it doesn't go through in this congress i mean i think it's something that's not going to go away
2: Mm -hmm. you know as I mentioned before we were going to the commercial break, there's this beautiful concept in the Native American community. Um, it's a phrase called seven generations and, I want our listeners who may be unaware of exactly what that means and the depth of that concept um, to hear it from you, particularly concerning decisions that will impact the environment. Can you talk to us about this philosophy and how it helps tribes find consensus around issues like fossil fuel use and extraction?
3: Yeah. So, you know, the seventh generation is kind of, it, it really is like the embodiment of
2: sustainability.
3: So, it's our responsibility to be caretakers for the planet, and it's our responsibility to kind of be have stewardship and to understand that everything that we do is impacting our children and our children's children, um, and that when we live here, we should live a good life and do everything we can to ensure that our children have a good life and that their children have a good life, and we shouldn't be living selfishly for just that generation. Um, in my own, like, in, you know, Ojibwe culture, so I'm Anishinaabe from Kuching First Nation, uh, we have the seven fire story. And in the seven fire story, we're basically in the seventh, we're in the seventh fire right now. So we have a choice as as a society. We can either take the path of destruction and fire and, you know, it, it basically describes what's happening right now. Um, and, or we can take the path of, you know, which is sustainability, this green path of, you know, uh, love and harmony and peace among all people it's kind of like this idea of we need to recognize our own actions and we have a choice in that and we're at a, at a point right now where we have to make that choice and we have to move into the eighth fire or we have to recognize the seventh generation and, you know, really fully fundamentally understand that.
2: Well, and the reason I find that So beautiful and so powerful is because I think that even among people who are skeptical that human beings are causing climate change, which again, you know, that's a separate issue, but there are those Mm -hmm. folks that exist, you know, I think that even they could agree that fossil fuels are finite and that if we Mm -hmm. want our children and our grandchildren and so on to live a great standard of living, it will require energy and it's, it's a good idea, even if, you know, you're not into climate change politics at all, to start thinking about how do we transition to infinite sources of energy before the finite sources of energy run out? And we know that they will. When they're gone, they're gone. They're called fossil fuels for a reason. And that we could get some of these people on board for the simple fact that they love their children and they want them to have a great standard of living and that by virtue of the fact that these fossil fuels are finite, um, that that in and of itself might be a reason to begin to transition to renewable energy and hence, you know, create a great standard of living for our you know, for our progeny in the future, and so I, I love that concept, um, and I think it's something we could all really get a lot of in the last minute or so that we have in this segment. Tara, talk to us about some of the ways that Native American communities are working right now to curb the use of fossil fuels.
3: So, actually, Honor uh, the Earth works pretty closely with White Earth Nation. Uh, that's where we're based, and. Um, we are working with the community to put in solar projects. Um, we're not quite at the wind, wind stage yet, but, I mean, that's just one instance of solar going up in Indian country. Um, that's that's a whole, like I was saying, that's a whole area of federal funding where there's these solar projects that are happening. Um, and so having a community that's self-sufficient and providing its own energy sources and not dependent on the surrounding state is, is incredible. Um, to me, it's a form of sovereignty, right? It's a form of, Um, economic sovereignty, but it's also a form of like, you know, I mean, you're looking at Native Americans working on food, food projects, food sovereignty. I mean, these things are really happening. And as far as the fights across Indian countries against these things, um, you know, you will see Native Americans all the way across the United States that are standing right in, right in the way of, you know, here's a truck that's transporting pipelines. We're going to stop this. You -hmm. know, here is, I mean, these are literally frontline fighters because this is our communities. I mean, this is not, a remote concept these are really like I mean this is in our faces right this is our water supply this is our drinking supply right next door so for us it really is a life or death situation
2: Tara, I want to thank you so much for being on Go Green Radio. Your perspective was just really, really enlightening and important. And I thank you for the good work that you're doing. And thank you for taking time to be with us on Go Green Radio. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we'll be joined by Bill McKibben. He is the founder of 350.org. So don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
1: your world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad that you could all join us today. In case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our topic today is a new piece of legislation called... Keep It in the Ground, and it was just recently introduced to the U.S. House of Representatives with 17 members of Congress co-sponsoring this piece of legislation. The co-founder of 350.org, Bill McKibben, is here to join us today and talk about this piece of legislation. He's been crucial um, in its introduction, and I'm so happy to have you on Go Green Radio. Welcome, Bill.
4: Hello there. Good to be with you.
2: Well, it's great to have you on. Um, I know that Besides myself, all of our listeners are great fans of your organization, 350.org. So before we dive into our discussion about this new piece of legislation, talk to us about some of the latest events and some of the good work that's currently going on at 350.org.
4: Well, we're gearing up, and it's sort of connected to all of this. We're gearing up for a big day of action in May uh, with a lot of other people. It's called Break Free from Fossil Fuel, and there'll be big demonstrations at these sites of these what you'd call carbon bombs, the big deposits of coal and gas and oil all over the world that simply have to stay in the ground. So we're working a lot around that. And of course, that's also part of the reason for this vast divestment movement that now spans the whole globe and is closing in on $4 trillion worth of endowments and portfolios that have divested in part or in whole from the fossil fuel industry. I spent yesterday, uh, you know, working uh, on the New York State divestment bill. The pension funds there are under big pressure now to cut their ties with fossil fuel um, and so on. So there's uh, lots going on post the Paris Climate Conference. Uh, I'm not sure that it adds up to all of us winning this fight yet, um, but at least we're fighting.
2: Absolutely. Now, talk to us about the specifics about this keep-it-in-the-ground bill and what it would accomplish. Help us understand, you know, what this bill encompasses and what its impact would be.
4: This is the House companion to a bill introduced by Senator Merkley of Oregon and Senator Sanders of Vermont, who you've heard a little bit about lately.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Just a little.
4: (laughs) um, Last summer. And these bills are designed to make sure that at least on the federal lands, in the United States, the lands owned by you and me, um, there'll be no further leasing of public land for coal or gas or oil. It's an idea that's catching on quickly. Hillary Clinton endorsed it a few weeks ago uh, uh, during her campaign. And uh, uh, the reason for it is simple, uh, although it requires maybe going back a moment and um, and talking about uh, how we came to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, a lot of the environmental talk about climate change was centered around um, cutting back our rates of emission. So if we were thinking about individuals, then we were uh, you know, changing our light bulbs and doing all those good things. And if we were a nation, we were, oh, say, Um, raising automobile mileage on cars, as the Obama administration did in the first term. These are good, smart things to do. But given how far behind we are in this fight, um, they're not enough. And the not-enoughness of all of that became very clear in 2012. Um, An obscure U.K. team of financial analysts published a report Uh, demonstrating that the fossil fuel industry had about five times as much carbon in its reserves as any scientist thought would be even remotely safe to burn. Uh, That is, this was coal and gas and oil that they'd already told shareholders, the SEC, their banks, that they were going to dig up and burn. That's what their business plans called for. Mm-hmm. Um, once you knew those numbers, it was sort of easy to understand that these were kind of rogue companies in a way. And that's where this divestment movement came from. But once you knew those numbers, you also knew that we had to keep these big deposits of carbon in the ground. And sometimes they're not owned by companies. Sometimes they're owned by us, as in these public lands um, um, that the Bureau of land management, the BLM, or the Forest Service, routinely auction off to be drilled, mined um, uh, for coal and gas and oil. And we need that to stop. This is carbon that simply has to stay safely in the ground where it's been for millions of years and the only safe place to have it. If it gets pumped out, um, then eventually it flows into the atmosphere. And our overheated atmosphere, as you know, is already causing us uh, just incredible problems. We just came through the hottest year ever recorded. Two Mm -hmm. weeks ago in Fiji, we saw the highest winds ever recorded in the southern hemisphere. In fact, tropical cyclone Winston, when it blew across Fiji, left uh, about 6% of the population homeless and wiped out about 10% of the country's GDP. In financial terms, it was the equivalent of about 15 simultaneous Hurricane Katrinas. Um, we watch as Arctic ice melts at a record pace, and with it, the sea level begins to steepen the rate at which it's rising, a rise that uh, analyst after analyst tells us will be unbelievably ruinously expensive uh, as time goes on. So. The, the only prudent thing to do at this point is to slow way down the amount of fossil fuel going into the atmosphere, and that 's what one you know one aspect of that the public lands of the United States are what fall under the auspices of these pieces of legislation um, they 'll of course be opposed vociferously by the fossil fuel industry mm-hmm. and since the Republican Party is mostly a kind of wholly owned subsidiary of that industry it'll be a while before they pass but the activism about them is very strong and in fact the next president or for that matter the current president could put into effect these bans through executive action that's why it's such a good good thing that bernie sanders and hillary clinton have both pledged to do so should they be elected president
2: I remember back when Republican Senator McCain and Democratic Senator Feingold passed their campaign finance reform bill, and I had so much hope, because that was bipartisan, that, you know, that would have a huge impact on the amount of money that, you know, politicians were getting from all of these big interests, whether it's big oil, big coal, big pharma, what have you, big food, um, you know, and of course, we all know how Citizens United turned out. Um, and I think that that, you know, that is something that, um, was shocking and destructive to our democracy. Um, you know, how does an organization, or maybe I should say, um, a, a collaboration of organizations that you and 350.org has put together with other organizations to work on keeping our fossil fuels in the ground. How do you fight this, not just campaign finance that these, you know, fossil fuel industry companies are are pumping into our legislative process, but also, you know, I mean, it's on every cable news, you know, commercial, uh, portfolio has, you know, a gas industry commercial and a, a I vote for energy, you know, commercial. How do you, how do you fight against something so big and ubiquitous like that?
4: Well, not easily. I mean, the, the money is very real and very powerful and it's, you know, generally wins. But when activists muster the competing currency of movements, passion, spirit, creativity, Uh, on occasion, the willingness to spend one's body and go to jail, then activists have a chance. I mean, no one thought there was even the slightest possibility that we'd be able to stop the Keystone Pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um, Big Oil had never lost a fight like that. They didn't even think there was really going to be a fight. But more people turned out to go to jail than for any cause in 30 years in this country. People sent to record number of emails to the Senate and public comments to the state department and uh, marched and marched and marched and marched. And eventually um, we overcame those odds and, and stopped the pipeline at least until president Trump is elected. Um, (laughs) And um, God forbid. And, (laughs) um, and, and what that demonstrates is is the power of people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a shame that we have to go to all that effort, because trust me, it's a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. Um, We shouldn't have to do it. Scientists long ago told us what's happening. We have all the information we need to, you know, any rational system would long since have gotten to work, but ours is not a particularly rational system. It's one corrupted by money and influence, like Mm -hmm. most systems, actually, Mm -hmm. and So one does need to go to work, and it's an extraordinary thing to see the number of people who've been willing to rise to that occasion.
2: You know, Bill, I'd love to know about some of the legislators who've signed on to co-sponsor this bill. You know, they do come from a wide variety of different states and territories, you know, within the country. What... If there's any way to generalize this, I'm not sure. Maybe it's very individualized, but what has motivated them to sign on as co-sponsors?
4: Well, you'd have to ask them, you know, sort of their individual motivations, but I think most of them are are just very concerned about the climate crisis that we face. Uh, Those who understand the crisis that we're in know that we need to take every possible action. Uh, And this is actually one of the very easy actions. These sales of... Federal lands, uh, you know, leasing of federal lands tends to be at a a great discount uh, or a loss to the federal government. Uh, It comes with all kinds of attendant environmental damages. People are actually drilling or or mining or whatever. Um, It should be an easy call, given what we now know about climate science. But given what we all know about money and politics, it isn't an easy call. So they're to be commended for their bravery in stepping up to do the right thing. Uh, And and so are individual activists. You know, I was very pleased to see that my old old and very dear friend, the writer, Terry Tempest Williams, went to one of these auctions that the Bureau of Land Management runs and bid for some of these parcels um, um, that were up for auction a couple of weeks ago. And what do you know? She won those bids and put down the required money and now she has the rights to explore for energy on a thousand acres in her native utah um and the good news is that i think the kind of energy that terry's going to be exploring for there is human energy creative (laughs) energy and the power of movements and of people and that's very very exciting
2: That is exciting. We're going to take a quick, quick commercial break, but we have so much more with Bill McKibben, co-founder of 350.org. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
1: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling voiceamerica.com. listening to Go Green Radio with your host Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 write to us too, save some trees and send us an email to Radio at gmail.com that's Radio at gmail.com now back to Go Green Radio with your host Jill Buck
2: welcome back to Go Green Radio everybody so glad that you could join us. In case you're just tuning in, I'll catch you up. Our guest is Bill McKibben, co-founder of 350.org. He is also quite the uh, prolific writer. He's got several books that we all love. The End of Nature was one that came out in 1989, and I know that's on the shelves of many an environmental activist. But he's a former staff writer for The New Yorker and frequently writes for a wide variety of publications around the world, including The New York Review of Books, National Geographic, and Roll. Stone, and we're so pleased to have him on, talking about a new piece of legislation that's just gone before uh, the U.S. House of Repres- Representatives. Just been introduced, and it's called "Keep It in the Ground," essentially keeping fossil fuels in the ground underneath public lands. Now, Bill, I have a question for you because you know we know that fossil fuels won't go away in in the snap of the fingers. It's not something that's going to end you know, right off the bat. But right now, we are seeing uh, solar panels being manufactured in plants that are fueled by fossil fuel powered electricity. We're seeing the same thing with the creation of wind turbines. It's very rare, if possible at this point at all, to see those kind of manufacturing operations going on that are actually powered by clean energy. Do you feel like that we should be earmarking some of the fossil fuels that are being extracted To create the necessary infrastructure that we need in order to convert to a clean energy economy?
4: Sure. I don't think you need to go and, you know, say that the particular kilowatts that are producing the next batch of solar panels need to come from a solar panel themselves. Um, We need to be, I mean, we need to be making sure that everything we build increasingly comes from renewable energy. And that's much easier to do than it's been in the past. You say that we can't just do this overnight, but we're far closer to that ability than we would have thought even a few years ago. I mean, in the last six or seven years, the price of a solar panel has fallen 80%. Uh, the Danes produced 49% of their electricity last year from wind. And I don't think it's because the Danes have somehow hogged all the wind to themselves. Uh, Denmark's Mm -hmm. no windier than all kinds of other places around the world. So it's not as if these are, you know, uh, unbeatable technical challenges.
2: Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I'm a mom and I look at the world and I say, you know what, we have an inventory of the amount of energy that we use. We know exactly how much energy we use as a country each year. We know how much of it would be needed to manufacture X number of solar panels, X number of wind turbines to replace uh, non-renewable energy with renewable energy and we could easily calculate, I'm sure that it could even be done as a college project how much fossil fuels it would take in order to manufacture that hardware, those solar panels, those wind turbines, and that we could budget, like, you know, we budget for other things, that we could budget some of the fossil fuels that we currently have um, at our disposal for the purpose of creating a clean energy economy. And it kind of bothers me that we haven't done something that seems to me so pragmatic and so simple. If we really want to create that many solar panels and wind turbines, and we know that it would create, you know, a lot of jobs and a lot of, you know, um, positive impacts to our economy, why not use some of the fossil fuels that, you know, before <laughs> before we run out, um, use them to convert to a clean energy economy? You know, there seems to be, and this is a, a political question for you, Bill, there seems to be a lot of talk on both sides of the aisle, about exporting American natural gas to Europe so that they can be less reliant on Russian natural gas. And I would love to know what your thoughts are on this and if you have talked to any members of Congress about this issue. This is one of those things that keeps me up at night. Um,
4: Well, you know, the science about natural gas just gets darker and darker and darker. Uh, You know, there used to be some politicians who thought this was their easy way out. You know, since it produced less carbon than coal, um, they could just convert the country to natural gas, keep the fossil fuel industry more or less happy, and and earn green uh, brownie points, I guess. Um, but physics, as often is the case, got in the way. Um, it's true that natural gas, when you burn it, is less carbon-intensive than coal, but when it escapes unburned into the atmosphere, and since it's a gas, it escapes pretty easily. uh, CH4, methane, has a far higher heat-trapping potential than CO2, molecule for molecule. The upside of that is that, taken as a whole, our natural gas infrastructure is one of the biggest contributors to climate change that we've got, um, it may be more dangerous than burning coal, even, and those dangers magnify each time you add another step. So if you're, you know, all pumping this stuff in the states, you're already leaking five or six or seven percent of it, and then you're going to put it on a ship and take it to Europe, and you know, you'll have to cool it down on the ship, heat it up again when you get there, and put it in another set of pipes, and you know, this is a full-on, full-scale climate disaster.
2: Well, and not only that, but it could be an economic disaster as well, because we know that the Europeans are willing to pay a premium um, for gas because the Russians have kind of set that as a standard. And right now, the reason that so many manufacturing operations and even utilities have switched to natural gas as the... Quote unquote cleaner, it's not clean, but cleaner option is because the price of natural gas was so low. That'll change in a New York minute if the price of natural gas is set by European standards and not by what we're currently paying. And not only that, again, as a mom, I think about, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned. And if we save some of our natural resources for the future, whether that's fossil fuels or, you know, some of our other natural resources here in America for future generations to use to to power their um, Economy—that's a good thing. And if we start, you know, extracting it out of the ground as fast as we can, selling it as fast as we can, we'll run out faster. And all of the nonsense that we have—two hundred years left of fossil fuels left underground in this country—is is is a farce when you start talking about exporting it and um, and you know getting it out uh, to other markets as fast as possible. And so that bothers me as well. You know, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit, if you will, um, about the Sandpiper and the Alberta Clipper oil pipelines, because we haven't heard quite as much about those as we did the Keystone XL pipelines. Talk to us about the impact that they would have on the extraction of more fossil fuels.
4: Well, the good news is that they're getting more attention. Uh, Earlier this week, Bernie Sanders uh, gave a ringing call to stop both the Alberta Clipper and Sandpiper pipelines down through the upper Midwest. He did it in Minneapolis after being introduced by the remarkable activist Winona LaDuke, a real hero um, um, in the climate movement and in the movement for native rights in this country. Uh, These pipelines um, are part of the huge tar sands industrial complex, that, like Keystone hopes to bring uh, more uh, heavy crude down out of the tar sands of alberta uh... if they were held to the same test that president obama said he applied to the keystone pipeline i.e will it make climate change worse then there's no doubt that they will Um, in general the tar sands are um, stuck in the mud Um, new investment is basically stopped both because the price of oil is low and because protesters have managed to bottle up every proposed pipeline coming out of there. So we got to keep up that kind of pressure uh, over and over and over again.
2: Bill, I really appreciate you being on Go Green Radio. In the remaining few seconds that we have left on the show, tell our listeners where they can get more information and how they can get actively involved.
4: Well, if you want to help with this big protest in May... Uh, Break Free 2016 is the website to go to, and you can always find all, you know much of what's going on around the movement at 350.org. Uh, it's a big, sprawling fossil fuel resistance, and it's wonderful to have people from every corner of the planet engaged.
2: Well, thank you so much, Bill, for being on Go Green Radio. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.